if I could introduce you to Jesus Christ in the flesh, you could actually reach out and shake the hand of Jesus, gaze into his eyes, listen to his voice with your own ears, would you be a stronger Christian? Would you be a better Catholic? If you could meet Jesus face to face. I can do that. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a story about a king. Of course, he's talking about himself. And the story goes, there was this king who gathered all his people before him. And once they were assembled, the king stood up. And this is what he said. I was hungry, thirsty, naked, homeless, and sick, and you passed me by. People looked at their king, and they screamed, When? When did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or naked, or homeless, or sick? And the king said, Whatever you've done to the least among you, that's what you've done to me. So it's clear that when you or I, we reach out and we touch the least amongst us, we get to touch God himself. Food for the Poor was established in 1982 by a Catholic layperson. God wasn't even a priest. Go figure. That's probably why we've been so successful in our 37-year history. Last year, we were named the largest international charity in America. Our focus is the third world poverty in America's backyard. Sadly, you don't have to go far to find authentic third world poverty, authentic third world suffering. There are neighbors in the 17 countries we serve throughout the Caribbean, and Latin America. Now, I know a lot of people come and beg. Why would you want to choose Food for the Poor to be your outreach to touch the least amongst us, your outreach to touch God himself? The hallmark of Food for the Poor is something most charities never talk about. Sadly, most charities hide it. I'm talking about overhead expenses. Charities doing our kinds of ministry begin with a very respectable low of just over 8%. But most of them go as high as 30, 60, and 90% administrative costs. I'm proud to tell you at the close of our books last year, Food for the Poor continues to have the lowest overhead expense of any major charity in America. We're currently at under 4 0.4%. So I can assure you that most of your gift truly winds up in the hands of the poor, in the hands of God. Now, having said that, let me tell you, there is no special collection at this Mass for Food for the Poor. Admit it, now you're wondering if I'm really a priest. You have just been handed one of these beautiful brochures. 
I'm going to ask you very nicely that when Mass is over with, I want to see everybody walking out of church holding a brochure. If you don't have one of these, it's going to get real ugly real fast. When you get it home, open it up. The first side is going to tell you all about food for the poor. Flip that over, you're going to see that little becomes much in the hands of God. And these pages bear that out. Let me give you two examples. A gift of $285. You can actually put a water pump in a village. Water is our biggest need in the third world. Doesn't sound like a big deal, a water pump. Until you realize most people have to walk over 30 miles round trip every day for water that will not harm them, water that will not kill them. That job's given to the children. It's an all-day task, so the children can't attend school. And education is the only thing that's going to break the cycle of poverty. A gift of $285, not only are you bringing life-sustaining water into the village, you're allowing the children to attend school and change their life. Gift of $90? You can give a goat to a family, which will give the children ongoing nourishment through the production of its milk. It's funny, every uh, year around Mother's Day, we get thousands of phone calls from our male donors all across America wanting to purchase a goat in honor of their mother-in-law. <laughs> That's true, you can't make this stuff up. Now, if you open up the pamphlet all the way, if you come in two panels from the back of the brochure, you're going to find this corrugated area. This is where you're eventually going to tear the brochure. If you tear it right, and God's going to be watching you, this becomes a mailing envelope. You can stuff a huge check in here. This paper's tough. It's been tested by nuns. <laughs> Write your name and address down on these lines. Now, if you want to use your credit card, no problem. Just fill out the credit card information below. But please remember, put your name and address on the top. Then all you got to do is lick the top of the envelope. Here we go. Delicious. Close it. It'll seal itself and pop it in the mail. It's pre-addressed as a postage page stamp. Okay, mass is over. You're walking out of church. You got your brochure. You wave it in my face so you get safely to your car. You walk into the kitchen, you take the brochure, and you put it on top of the refrigerator to get to it later. And it's going to die a long, slow death up there. You have cash, a check, or your credit card tonight, and you want to give now and save us the cost of this bulk postage. This does get expensive. I would invite you to put your gift in the envelope, fill it out, seal it, and you can hand it to me as you leave church tonight, 
and I'll have it in the office Monday morning. Uh, I'll be right up here after Mass. If you don't want to see me after Mass, sneak out the side here to get home. And if you wanted to use your credit card but you left it at home, no problem. Borrow someone else's. Many of you have been giving to Food for the Poor for many, many years. And many of you have become monthly donors to Food for the Poor, which is the backbone of Food for the Poor, our monthly donors. They keep us alive. And over the course of the years, I know you have to wonder, is your gift making any difference? I'm going to share two quick stories with you. And if you ever think that way, I want you to think of these stories because your gifts truly have made these two possible. We hear these stories every day at Food for the Poor. A little while back, I had to go to the country of Jamaica. Our local office there hired three new workers, and I went down to train them in the history of food for the poor. While I was in Kingston, Jamaica, the capital, I was passing by one of the oldest ministries that we have been assisting over the course of these years, and I knew that we were coming up on our 20th anniversary of our support of this ministry. And I wanted to do something special to mark the event. The ministry is called the Golden Age Home. It's actually built by the Jamaican government. But the government didn't have enough money to keep it going. So it turned to us and asked us if we could support them. It was a home that is built for extremely challenged abandoned children. The home currently has well over 100 children living there. It's a big square building. In the middle of it is an open-air courtyard. Three walls are bedrooms for the children, and the front has an office, a staff room, a dining room, and a kitchen. Everything that the children need, from the beds to the sheets, to the clothing, to their medicine, to their food, is given them through Food for the Poor. I had an extra half hour, and I thought, I'm going to drop by the home. So I swung into the home, and I sat down with the staff. I said, it's our 20th anniversary. I'd like to do something special to mark this event. Is there anything that you haven't asked for, for one reason or another? that we could do for you. The staff just looked at each other in silence. Finally, the director looked at me and said, Father, there is one thing, but we've always been afraid to ask you because we're afraid it's too expensive or that it's just impossible. I said, what is it? I, she said to me, the hardest time we have with the children is in the morning, every morning, when we come to work, we bathe them. And it's very difficult. Children do not want to be bathed. 
They have this one washroom. It's all concrete. Concrete walls, concrete floor. You walk in there, there's three items in the bath. One is a metal table, so they can lift the children off the ground. The second is a five-gallon bucket of liquid soap. And the third item is on the floor. It's a green garden hose. The same kind of hose you have in the backyard to water the plants. They bring the children in, they put them on a table. They pick up the hose and they hose them down. Then they reach in for the liquid soap and they lather them up. Then they pick up the hose again and rinse them down. And during the process, the children are screaming and they're crying because the water is so cold. I thought to myself, of course that water is cold. We dug a well for that water. That's ice cold. I smiled at her. I said, let me talk with my staff. I'll give you a call tomorrow morning. She looked at me and she said, do you have time to say hi to the children? I looked at my watch and I had 20 minutes. I said, yeah, I'd love to say hi to the children. She led me out into the courtyard and we started the first bedroom and I was working my way around. I got about halfway around and I saw something tied to a pole out of the corner of my eye. My first thought was, wow, they've got an animal tied up here to interact with the children. What a great idea. But as I got closer to the pole, I saw it wasn't an animal at all, but a little five-year-old boy. I walked up to the child. I started over to, to the child, and the staff grabbed me, and they screamed, Father, don't waste your time with Michael. He is so extremely hyperactive, he won't even know you were here. Don't waste your time. He told me that he, when he first came in, it was impossible to, to dress in the morning. He was running all around his room. But once he was dressed, he would run out into the courtyard, look out the front door, run out the front door, make a left-hand turn, and head towards the highway. And the whole staff would pour out of the building, chasing Michael down the street. A couple of days after that, one of the staff members came up with an idea. And every morning, after he's dressed, they take this scarf and they tie it to Michael's ankle. And then they lead him out into the courtyard and they tie the other half end of the scarf to that pole. Whereupon Michael begins to do his thing. And that's simply to run around that pole all day long in circles until nightfall when they untie him, put him back in his bed. Seven days a week from sunup to sundown, Michael is tethered to that pole. For his own safety, can't you see? So he won't run away and get lost or get hurt. 
I walked up to the child, to the pole. I sat down next to the pole. I crossed my arms and just watched him for about 10 minutes run around that pole. What energy this child had. I eventually just opened up my arms and said the child's name, Michael. He jumped on my chest. He wrapped his arms around my neck in a death grip. He was choking me. I couldn't breathe. And I hugged him back. And I thought to myself, I'm going to hold on to this child for as long as he holds on to me. I've got plenty of time. Besides, he's hyperactive. How long could he last? 20 minutes went by in a heartbeat. I hadn't moved an inch. I knew I had to leave. Reluctantly, I broke his grip off my neck. As I stood up, I placed his little arms at his side where he stood perfectly still, looking up at me with tears pouring down his face. I leaned over and I whispered in his ear, Michael, every time I come to Jamaica, I'm coming here first. You and I, We'll hug again. Two weeks later, I was back in my home office. I walked in, and on my desk was a handwritten letter from the Golden Age home. The opening line was, you people have always been a miracle in our lives on a daily basis. But we've had two events. We wanted you to know about them, Father. Event number one. The solar hot water heater you installed on our roof really works. <laughs> now when we come to work, the children are online to be bathed. You changed all the screaming and all the crying into laughter and giggle. The second event, we walked into Michael's room the following morning after you were here. We found him sitting on his bed and he was almost dressed. He still needed help with the buttons on his shirt. But once we buttoned him up, he slowly slid off his bed and calmly walked out to the courtyard. Now every morning when he gets to the courtyard, he stops and he looks around at all the other children. And if there's a child standing all alone, Michael runs up and hugs them. This happened because you have loved people you will never meet, you will never see, but you have changed their lives. Thank you for allowing me to beg and thank you for hearing the cry of the poor. May God continue to bless each and every one of you in abundance in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.